bring in tonight. Okay. We got to the third chapter, Ruach Shtus. <clears throat> we asked the question why it is that the Mishkan is made out of Atze Shitim. Shitim wood. It's often translated Shitim wood. Meaning it's not translated. A lot of the English translations just say Shitim wood. Um, acacia. But it was probably cedar. So we said, Ein Adam Elim That a person doesn't do an Avera until they're overcome by a spirit of folly. Okay, we said we'd do a uh, survey. So I'll ask you some questions. You all have to answer to the best of your ability. Did God create the world? Yes, we think that, right? I mean, we, that's part, we, we believe that God created the world. I, I, don't, I hope we don't believe it. I hope we know it. We even know how it happened. Okay, I'm saying, that, you know, approximately why it happened. Well, we, we have understandings of that also. Okay. Yes, God created the world. Right? Okay. Did uh, God take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim? Yes. Did he split the Red Sea? Did he give us the Torah on Harsina? Did that Torah include... Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat an oral Torah and a written Torah. Okay, is the is the Gemara that we have a, a the Mishnah and the Gemara we have a true expression of that oral Torah? Yeah, it is. That's what it is. You got to be as sure about that as you're sure about God took us out of Egypt. Yes, that's the oral Torah. Okay, and in that in that Torah, that written Torah and the oral Torah, there are all sorts of uh, Obligations, right? Things we're allowed to do and things we're not allowed to do, right? Is that true? Yes. Okay. And God chose the Jewish people to give that Torah to. to yeah. Okay. Hundred <coughs> percent. So far, so good. We're answering all the questions well. We're getting A on the test. Baruch Hashem. Yes. Okay. Say that. Am I and the, and the the that oral Torah as it's expressed in the Mishnah and in the Gemara and ultimately through the Rishonim and into the Halakha codifications of Tur, Shulchan Aruch, Alter Rebbe Shulchan Aruch, Mishnah Bura, which is, of course, isn't a codification, but is an explanation of uh, Orachayim, of the, of the, of the uh, Shulchan Aruch of Rav Yosef Kato. Uh, th- those, halachic, those halachic works are a true expression of God's will as expressed in the Torah. Is that true? Okay, Besaidah. Am I obligated to listen to everything in those in those books, in those in those uh, halachic codifications? Yeah, absolutely. Do I? No. No. Okay. That last answer contradicts every other answer you gave to every other question that we asked. What? Which is very interesting. So how does that happen? Right? That's what the Rebbe's trying to explain. Why? Well, try to explain. That's what Chazal mean when they say, Every Aveda is a contradiction to every objective truth you hold. Which is really fascinating. Okay, Besedu, I have a Nevejabamis. Okay, Besedu. I have a Nevejabamis. Let me ask you another couple of questions. Right? Uh, uh, are, are, are cars dangerous? Yes. Okay, yeah, they can be dangerous, yes. Right? When, when, a, uh, 
and, and cars generally drive in the street, is that correct? Right, okay. And cars, there's also something called a highway, right? There's something called a highway, and cars drive very fast on the highway, and it would be very dangerous to close your eyes and walk across the highway, is that true? Do you ever close your eyes and walk across the highway? No, not at all. You would never think of doing that. That's absolutely the most absurd thing imaginable. Why not? Because that's just, you just don't do that. It's just crazy. We're going to die. Okay. So why is it that there is this thing that I will do that is contrary to every aspect of the objective belief system I have? It serves a purpose. What, a no, drive, uh, they were still on the track. <laughs> no, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't do that thing that's contrary to my objective understanding of reality called walking into traffic. I don't do that. Because that's contrary to my objective understanding of reality. And reality is that cars are bigger than me, and if I have a fight with a car, the car will win. Right? And the car doesn't have to play by rules with one hand tied behind its back in order to make it fair. Right? The car just does what the car does. That's why I don't pick fights with cars. Okay. And yet when it comes to an Avera, every single Jew we know, because right, I would imagine none of us know an, a real, a, you know, a complete Benoni. We know lots of, of, of incomplete Benonis, right? We thought the mayor and I had this, I mean, it was, a, it was a conversation in class, but it was based on mayor's question and mayor and I were talking back and forth right there obviously it was a public conversation every single one of us is basically a tzaddik relative to the mitzvah of don't murder there are many many mitzvahs relative to which we're all benoni meaning we might have a yetzahara but as soon as that yetzahara pops into our head we go ugh fair go away not interested and then there's other ones we don't want to talk about okay but Tzadik Benini Russia, you learn Tanya that, that Tzadik Benini Russia isn't this little box that we put people in. There are Tzadikim. There are people who are absolutely Tzadikim relative to every aspect of God's will. They are completely and totally connected to it and don't have any Yetzirah to transgress it. Okay. In other words, the Rebbe, relative to the smallest detail of, of some very esoteric halach in Shulchan Aruch, is basically the same as we are relative to murder. It's completely and totally out of the realm of his life. It has nothing to do with who he is, what he is, or where he goes. Okay. That's what a tzaddik is. Just on the most external and, 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 and simple level, which is very hard for us to even imagine. Okay, I've said it, but that, that's just the chitzonius of it all. The panemius is a whole different thing, but the chitzonius of it all, that's, what, that's a tzaddik. Okay. Fine. Relative to Torah and mitzvahs. So relative to certain mitzvahs, you when is the last time you had a taiva to bow down to an idol? Okay, Avedazara Baruchnius, like we learned about in the Mimer in, in Vyadai Damascus, so that, uh, that's something that affects all of us. But Avedazara, simple shot in Avedazara, look up the Rambam, Hilchas Avedazara, and see if you have a taiva to transgress uh, those 53, I think there's uh, you know, a couple of positive, but all, all told, I think 53 commandments in Hilchas Avedis Kuchavim, so most of them are negative. How many of those negative commandments do you have a taiva to transgress? Probably none. Right. Okay. The Ebrister took away that taiva. Right. Okay, fine. So we're all tzaddikim relative to that. Relative to murdered tzaddikim. Relative to stealing money. Well, none of us are going to go up to someone and just steal money from them. Okay, but what about somewhat 
you know, less than completely 100% ethical behavior relative to money. That's an interesting one. It's a rough one, right? Because then it, a lot of that has a lot to do with Hilchus government, right? Meaning, how are you supposed to relate to the government? If your grandmother sent you a $1,000 gift and you don't declare it, is that legal? And is, is it mutter to do that if it's not legal? Well, that's an interesting question. I don't know. It might, it might, it might not be a question, but you know, it might be a question. Well, did I ask a rub? Yeah, I'm not asking. I'll ask a rub about the, 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 the piece of chicken that, I, that just you know, showed up in the supermarket, but about that, I'm not going to ask a rub. I'll just pask it. It must be mutter. It's okay. A thousand bucks, I'm not, you know, chicken, man. Nah. A thousand bucks. I don't know, right? When does it apply? When does it not apply? All that. It's all very fascinating halacha. Okay, so maybe. We're usually sort of benunim because we might have a taiva, but okay, we'll look it up. Or maybe who knows? Okay, so tzaddik benunim Russia. The Rebbe explains a great length. That's not; those aren't boxes that we all fit into. Every single one of us is a tzaddik relative to certain things, a benunim relative to certain things, and and something else relative to certain things. And that's why each Jew is what the Rebbe refers to as a tzibur, tzaddik beis resh, a tzibur, a whole community. Okay, fine. So how does the Russia happen? I don't get it. Doesn't make sense. It's shtus. Right. It's irrational behavior because it contradicts all of our rational understanding as to what I should be doing objectively. Objectively, we all agreed in our survey that we should not transgress anything written in Shulchan Aruch because Shulchan Aruch is a proper expression of God's will. God created the world, gave us the Torah, and we have to listen to it. So why do we? Okay, let's see. See what the Rebbe says. Because I'll say that that's a, it's, a, it's a state of temporary insanity. Manyen. Two, four, six, eight lines up from the bottom. Nine. Veruach zeh. Nine lines up. Last three words in the line. Veruach hazeh. This spirit. It's not like, you know, Casper the Friendly Ghost kind of spirit, right? It's not, this spirit, ruach zeh, mechasa ala emes. Covers the truth. This Ruach Shtus is something that covers the truth. Ruach Shtus, Ruach Aklipa Vesitra Achra. It's, the, it's the, the spirit of Klipa and Sitra Achra. And we know what those words mean. Synonyms for evil. Venikra Shtus, and it's called Shtus, Alderach Melech Zoken Uksil. The Yitzhahara is referred to as the old and feeble king. Right? I think it was Chaim of Tzans once said he never understood this Chazal. Said the fact that the Yitzhahara is a melech, that he gets. He has a lot of control. Okay, the fact that he's a zokin, zokin usually means someone who's old, who has a lot of wisdom, that he also gets. He outsmarts me. Why is he called a ksil, an idiot? What do you mean an idiot? Doesn't seem like an idiot to me. He seems pretty smart. So why do Chazal call him a melech zokin uksil, the idiot? Now, this is a hard story to, to understand only because we, it's hard to imagine that Rav Chaim Tzans actually had a Yitzhahara, but okay, beside him. But he, his, he, this is how he tells the story. He said that he, he finally understood why the Yitzhahara is exil. Because once he was thrown into a dungeon by the local Polish nobleman, and he's you know, down in this horrible, horrible place, just unimaginable how horrible it was down there, physically, just you know, the situation. 
right? And 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 all of a sudden he realized that my Yitzhara came with me. He didn't have to come with me. He could have stayed up there. He didn't have to come down here with me. He's stuck an idiot. <laughs> that was his understanding <laughs> of that Maimur Chazal. He could have stayed up there and waited for me to get out of here. Why did he come down here? Dumb. Okay. Vahem, these forces, what these forces are is not clear, right? What are these, what are these like magical, bizarre, metaphysical forces that are, you know, hovering around waiting to capture me? I mean, what this is is not so clear. Okay, the, the Rebbe will explain. They cover up light and revelation. The elokusu emes v'chayim. That elokus is is truth and life. Ukemeshikosov, like it says, v'vayelokim emes v'elokim chayim. I don't know whether we had to have a pasuk to prove to us that the Ebrister is emes v'chayim, but okay, there's a pasuk that said, but psukim that say exactly that. V'vayelokim emes v'elokim chayim. Varuach shtus, this spirit of folly, what does it do? It covers up this state of reality called truth in Chaim. Varuach shtus mechas emes, covers up the truth, v'chayas elokis. In other words, we don't, see, we don't see reality clearly. But why? Why might I not? I don't understand. I, I ever lose sight of the fact that cars are bigger than me and I shouldn't walk into the street? Of course not. I mean, a two-year-old won't walk, doesn't understand that, and that's why we keep two-year-olds away from the street. But once I reach a certain age, I understand that, and I never forget it. And you have what's called das relative to that. It's very, very, it's penetrated very powerfully into your consciousness to such an extent that when you walk along the street, and you're next to the, let's say there's two of you, and you're the one, you're the one closest to the curb, and you're having a very serious conversation with a friend, you have a certain awareness of the traffic around you at all times, even though that's not what you're thinking about. You're very powerfully aware of that traffic, right? And you're very careful not to step off the curb. You're, you'll even move, even though you're not looking. You're busy talking to your friend. You're not even looking, but you'll, very, you'll, you'll move over a foot if all of a sudden a big, huge bus comes in the lane right next to the curb or a truck. Even though you're not thinking about it, well, you are. That's called Das. You're very powerfully connected to that reality. <laughs> very, con- very powerfully connected to that reality. Well, we'll see. Still do a good job, Ellie. Right? Very powerfully connected to that reality, such that it's, in, it's part of your consciousness, even though you're not actively thinking about it. Okay, well, that's called Yerush Hashem, if you're thinking about a Kodesh Baruch Hu that way. You're constantly aware of a Kodesh Baruch Hu's presence, even though... Your, your actual activity isn't necessarily connected to him at this particular moment. Meaning you're thinking about whatever you're doing, whether it's at work or you're, you're cutting up a salad, right? Whatever you're doing, right? So you're not actively thinking about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, but you have what's called Das, hopefully, meaning godliness is penetrated into our consciousness so deeply that we're aware of his presence everywhere, just like you're aware of the bus when you're walking on the street. Oh, well, maybe not. Why not? If I'm not, that's because some ruach shtus might take over and, and, and I lose connection to that state of reality. I, I somehow lose connection to the, to the truth of all that and the, the, the vitality of the, all that. Why? Velochein, therefore, nikra b'shem klipa. It's called the klipa. Why is it called the klipa? Because what does klipa do? Kamaya klipa, machasa alapri. The klipa covers the fruit. 
So to the Ruach Shtus covers and conceals and hides the light of the revelation of godliness. And this is the reason that which it's possible This is why a person might do an Avelach Now the Rabbi asked the question we asked. How is it possible? How can a person do an Avera? Now, obviously, the Rebbe is not talking about someone who never heard about Tarot Mitzvahs. It's obvious why that person will do an Avera, because he's never heard of it. Talking about the from person who believes in all those things that we talked about at the beginning of Shir in our survey. What in the world is this do, person doing, doing an Avera? And it's very interesting. Non religious so called people, non religious Jews, so called are very upset when religious Jews do things that aren't right. They get very upset. Right? You're hypocritical. Right? Well, are they right? Yeah, well, they're sort of right, right? Okay, now I did. It's a crazy, you know, the claim doesn't really, it doesn't make sense, right? I mean, you can always challenge if someone asks you one of those things. Well, I saw a religious person here, so th- th- something that makes them think is to say the following. And it does make them think. Okay. So basically your understanding is that religious people act better than why aren't you one? If your basic understanding is that religious people are held to a higher standard because they act according to a higher standard of behavior, then why aren't you one of those people? Why do you not want that higher standard for yourself? Which deflect, that doesn't mean that they're not right about that Jew who's just Machal Shem Shemayim by doing something that they shouldn't do, and, and that way somehow bringing about a cheapening of God's name in the eyes of the person who saw them. That's a very serious thing to do. Okay. But that being said, it's, you can ask that, you know, you can use that opportunity to challenge that person and ask them, well, I don't understand. So if this is a. If these people are, so to speak, better, then why don't you want to be better? And see what they say. It makes them think, which is important. Because the more we get people thinking, the more chances are that they'll figure out there's a God. So the Rebbe asks a very powerful question. Now he gives an amazing answer. It's only because he doesn't feel it's not sensitive to the fact that by virtue of this action he's separating himself from the Ebishter. It appears to him that he's still, so to speak, in his Yiddishkeit. I mean, Yadusa is right? He's still in his Judaism. If he knew the truth, as it is, and the through wrongdoing, Nas and Nifrad Mielokusi becomes separate from the Abishter, and he would never do this Aveira. And that's why there's all sorts of Averas that we'll never do. Right? A religious Jew. Right? But there's an Aveira, there's all sorts of Averas they'll never do. One of them, they, they, the idea of getting into a car on Shabbos is absolutely, completely, and totally mufrach. They're not going to do that. Now, they, there's very, maybe even most, I don't know, that's an interesting question, most. 
Very, very many religious Jews get into cars on Shabbos. When? Almost everybody has had to uh, had the interesting experience of having a baby on Shabbos, and so they get into a car on Shabbos and drive to the hospital. Okay, almost everybody's done that once or twice in their life. Okay, say, right? So why you know interesting? Anybody who's ever been in an army, so you have this interesting experience of having to do things in the army on Shabbos that you wouldn't do in a normal Shabbos. So mutter, it's all other rabbis. That's not us, right? Okay, so that that's an interesting experience. That being said. Rabbi, Rabbi Hittrick tells an amazing story during the during the Gulf War, the Gulf War in 1991, when uh, I guess it was it was Bush Senior, right? So he, he uh, Tati Bush, right? So he he, uh, he did, tried to take on Saddam Hussein, and and so the the the, the, Israeli, the Israeli army wasn't involved in this and stayed out of it, and it must be that the Rebbe had something to do with the fact that they stayed out of it, because Yitzhak Shamir, the Prime Minister at the time, did, did tell everybody after the war that he was in daily contact with the Rebbe. He called the Rebbe every single day during the war to make sure he was doing the right thing. You know, staying out of it and talking to the Rebbe and what he should do, and how, right? every single day he was on the phone with the Rebbe. So, uh, so, so uh, it, it, there, was no, there wasn't a call-up. But who was called up? Who was called up was what's called the Pikuda Orif, the, the home guard. The home guard was called up. You know, all the guys who were in charge of making sure that, thing, that, that things are okay in the cities, not on the front line. Why? Well, because the, the bombs were falling in the cities. There, there wasn't any front line action. It was all bombs being sent to the cities. So, uh, so that, who's that? Well, that's all the old guys who are no longer in, you know, they, what, the last five, ten years you're in the army, often they'll send you out of you know, a regular unit, and you'll be in the home guard for, for a couple of years, and then they give you a little slip and send you home. So Rabbi Chitrick tells a great story that he was with three other Lubavitchers, and they were in, they were in I think it was Haifa. They were in Haifa, uh, and it was Shabbos, and uh, it was right in the height of the war, and, and they were told, they were told that, uh, you know, they can go to sleep. It's Friday night. They were told they, they go to sleep, but don't, you have to keep your uniform on because at any moment there could be a siren and a bomb and you have to be ready to go in a second. But we'll, we'll let you go to sleep. Fine. So, of course, these Lubavitchers, there were four guys and he described, you know, this is what he, he, he described how each of them related to this completely differently, you know, from sleeping with one guy sleeping with his boots on to the other in his pajamas, you know, completely right in four, mm -hmm. four levels of that. The guy in the pajamas, when the siren went, because of course there was a siren, he was busy, you know, pulling on his uniform and putting on his boots as they ran into their jeep. So they jumped into a jeep. Aaron Laser Zeitlin, Oliver Shalom, who was about six four, Aaron Laser jumped into the back seat and was putting on his boots, and his foot hit the radio in the jeep, blaring Arab music. You know that really whiny, music, right? And, and it's blaring. So there's these four Lubavitchers in a Jeep, right? Shabbos, Friday night, about one in the morning, driving around with Arab music. But now they can't turn it off. That's, you can't, there's no Hector to turn it off on Shabbos. There's a Hector to drive the Jeep, because that's where you can't turn off the radio. That has nothing to do with 
doing so they're driving around with this Arab music blaring all of us <laughs> said it was absolutely the wildest uh, so there's things you can do and there's things you can't do so they're from they're not going to turn off the radio just because it's uncomfortable having this this noise I mean what are you going to do you can't turn off the radio at Shabbos you can drive the jeep but you can't turn off the radio okay so none of us would think of being Michal Shabbos why because what does everyone know if you're Michal Shabbos you just gave the Abishter a get I'm not part of this anymore. Okay. Now, pick your favorite of Aver. Same thing. Just, we don't see that. Well, everybody does this. I mean, I, you know, this, is, this obviously doesn't separate you from Elokus because, and, and interestingly enough, in, in the Jewish world, just about every community has the Averas that that community has decided are mutter. And every community is a little different. Right? I don't mean, yeah, I'm not talking about, you know, serious affairs where people are eating pork, God forbid, but, you know, most communities have certain things that are probably problematic and yet somehow have become socially acceptable, at least to the point that, you know, you don't, you don't write home about it, but people do it, whatever it is. And every community is a little different. Manyen. The socially acceptable of and that's the one that people are going to be likely to, to transgress. Why? Because what might they be able to convince themselves at that particular point? That's okay. This this is mutter. You know, the obvious one that the Chazal say that one of the Averis that no one that you know no one is safe from is Lushan Hurry, you know, saying something negative about another Jew, God forbid. So that's something that you know most people fall prey to. Chazal say it. Matter of fact, they say everybody falls prey to it. Obviously not Siddiquim, right? But it's one of the Averas that everybody falls prey to. Okay, why? Well, yeah, right. We'll talk about one that's not so terrible. Talking during Kaddish. Is it Mutter? No. Alpi Shulchan Aruch, it's Usr to talk during Kaddish. Right. Okay, is it an Isr Deraisa? Of course it's not an Isr Deraisa. But Alpi Shulchan Aruch, you're allowed to talk during Kaddish. You're allowed to talk during Chazar Sashats. No. Alpi Shulchan Aruch. You ever been to a synagogue of religious Jewish men? How many people don't talk during Kaddish and don't talk during Chazar Sashat? It's like a, you know, four from guys in the back going, mm, 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 instead of answering yes. <laughs> or, you know, well, you know, instead of talking. It's also, is it the rice? Of course not. But it is also. Okay, manyen. <laughs> so one of those averus that just sort of became mutter. So what it, what it, what happened? So it's very easy. I don't understand. Look at this guy standing next to me. He looks like a pretty frum guy. He's talking. He must be okay. And if he knew the truth, yeah, talking during Kaddish, you know, halavai, that was the worst thing that anybody did. But it's still usher, so you're not supposed to do it. Right? Don't do it because you're not supposed to. Right, it's only one guy or two guys who try to sing in the same key, right? Who 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 who, who talk during Kaddish, and those are the people saying Kaddish. Everybody else is quiet and says Amen and Zel, right? The beginning of Kaddish, you know, even if you're davening, you're supposed to stop davening, you know, till till uh, after the Amen after Kutsu Brichu, right? the first first part of Kaddish. Okay, say them. 
if he knew he was being separated from the Avera, he wouldn't do the Avera. None of us are Mechal Shabbos knowingly. We, we, unfortunately, we might not know Hilchus Shabbos well enough and so might make some mistakes. Getting into a car on Shabbos to go to the beach just because Zebali, I want to do this. No such thing. It doesn't exist. Why? Because I know that that separates me from the Eberster and I'm not interested in being separate from the Eberster. And interestingly enough, Kids who chas are challenged by their Yiddishkeit and are slowly but slowly drifting away. When do they know that they finally have just sort of said, okay, I'm not part of this anymore? What's the last thing most of them do? Chilshavs. They won't do that for a long time. They have a girlfriend, boyfriend, they're eating in places maybe they shouldn't be eating and blah, 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 blah. But once they're Michal Shabbos, then that's like... That's a serious one. Takes them a while. Because they know <laughs> like what that means. Okay. There's, there's, there, it's pretty hard for Ruach Shtus to get there. It can, though. Why, why is it that a Jew won't do an Avera if it separates him from the Abishter? I mean, if he's, if he's aware of that. The natural state of a Jew. That does not mean, this is a, very, this is a, a statement brought in many places in Chassidus that, that, that we live in a world where it, it seems to be completely counterintuitive to the reality we see, but you have to understand what the Rebbe is talking about. And the Altar Rebbe talks about it. The nature of Jew. A Jew in a state of health, a natural, healthy state for a Jew. What is that state? He doesn't want in any way, and he's not able to be separate from the Abishtim. Can, can someone please close that door? Sorry. Right? It's not interested in being separate from the Abishtim. That's the nature of a Jew. I can a Jew be in a state that's not particularly healthy? Yes, absolutely. But the natural state of a Jew is he doesn't want to be separate. And what's the raya? The Rebbe brings a raya from Jewish history. And that when we come to a trial, the and someone is forcing the Jew to do something against Shulchan Aruch, something of you know uh, uh, blasphemy. Does at that point. It's absolutely clear to him what's at stake. When the Soviet has the gun at his head, God forbid, it's absolutely clear what, what's, what's up for grabs right now. What's Jewish history full of, unfortunately? Yidin who wouldn't, who wouldn't step over that line. Right? He just wouldn't do it. They gave up their lives for it. Because it was absolutely clear what the stakes were which isn't necessarily the case in the heat of the moment when a person has a type, he loses sight of what's clear. It's overcome by the spirit of folly. He loses sight of the truth. When the, when the non-Jew is standing there with his gun or his club or his sword or whatever it is that he has, and he's telling the Jew, I'm going to kill you unless you do something that's, that's contrary to what you're all about. So the Jew just, in Jewish history, is about not doing that. An example... Beryl and Shmerel can't stand each other. They hate each other. They daven in the same shul every day, and they spend much of Shachris thinking about how annoying the other one is. Beryl and Shmerel. And Beryl 
says some of the juiciest Lushen Haru you'll ever hear in your life about Shmerel. And Shmerel, likewise about Beryl. The Pasha can't stand each other. And Beryl just said a piece of Lushen Haru about Shmerel. He is talking to someone and said, that Shmerel, you, you, I can't believe that you have anything to do with it. I heard you went to his daughter's wedding. He's such a low life. And he went on and on and on about Shmerel. Your ears could burn. Unbelievable. Isuri Daraisa, one after the other. Beryl walks out of shul. There's a Soviet soldier there. He says, I'm looking for someone named Shmerel. Where is he? Don't know. Never heard of him. He hits him on the side of the head with the barrel of his gun. His ear is bleeding and he's on the ground. Tell me where Shmerel is. Is Beryl going to tell this guy where Shmerel is? Not a chance. Not a chance. Because every Jew knows the last thing you ever do is give a Jew over to a guy like this. Jews don't do that. Three minutes earlier, he was saying lush and horror about Shmerel that could burn your ears. Mind? Yisur not, you know, like, sort of, not talking during Kaddish. This is like serious Yisur Edoraisa. Mind? Five minutes later, he's Meser Nefesh for Shmerel. Why? And we can imagine that happening. Why? It's absolutely clear what the stakes are five minutes later, and there's no way in the world Beryl is going to be over that. Aye. Five minutes earlier, Ruhstus. He thought that, you know, okay, I'm saying some Lush about Shmero, because you know what? Shmero deserves it because he's talking the biggest lowlife, and let me tell you about it. He's going to give Shmerel over to this guy? Not a chance. And the Russian leaves him on the ground bleeding after kicking him a few times. He gets up and he walks home. What he does in shul the next day, I don't know. Probably goes over to Shmerel and says, you know, you are really, you, you should see what I did for you, you lowlife. You know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. Why, but, right? <laughs> and we can see it happening. Unbelievable. But if, if someone were to come and try to force him to do something, an Indian Shokfira da'az, if Sharlitas, you can't possibly make an error, even to think, that you're not separate from the Abishta by doing this, whether it's bowing down or, or, or whatever it happens to be that this, this, this heathen wants you to do. He'll give up his life for it. He'll accept upon himself all sorts of, of, of pain and, 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 and difficulty. He'll give up his life for the sanctity of God's name. The two minutes of discomfort that he'll experience by virtue of not doing the taiva that he has the taiva for, you have a tiger for something, all of a sudden, and, and, and you, you realize it's not a good thing. Okay, say that. It's going to be, if you, if, you, if you don't do it, you're going to feel uncomfortable for a couple of minutes. You feel uncomfortable, because none of us, none of us like that experience of not getting what we want. It's not a pleasant experience. So you're going to have to put up with that unpleasant experience for, for a couple of minutes. There are times when a Jew can't deal with that unpleasant experience and Chas does the Avera. 
That same Jew, if someone were to beat the living daylights out of him, God forbid, in order to, he, 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 wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't transgress the event. Same of Abel. <laughs> What's that about? Two minutes of discomfort. Sometimes that takes over. It's called Rochtus. We see in actuality, mamish, gamma fila bedargas apchuses bekal shabekalim. Even the simplest yidden, peish Yisrael, even people who do avayers, you know, like the the non from, you know, exactly. I mean, you know, it depends on what period in history you're talking about when you talk about a non from Jew, right? But I mean, you know, there's certain periods where the non from guy was, you know, still, you know, I mean, he looked like everybody else, and he probably kept Shabbos, but okay, he wasn't so from. Say okay. Who uh, you know today? So that person looks a little different, but but in different in different communities, it's it's in in different times in history. <coughs> so the simplest people and the Peshe Israel, the ones who are least connected in the in the most obvious ways. What do we know about those people? They're willing to give up their life for the Abishta. Right. Most of the Jews in the generation we live in have had their Judaism stolen from them. It was stolen from them. No one told them about it. Right? it stole it, but most of the people sitting in this room. This guy was stolen from us for a certain period of our life. Okay, we got lucky. Fine. Okay, what about all those people who didn't get lucky? So this country is full of people like that. Millions and millions of them have had their Yiddishkeit stolen from them by people who tell them all sorts of things that aren't true. Okay, fine. Not fine, terrible, horrible. But okay, that's reality. You know what? The vast majority of Jews in this country are willing to lay down their life for what they understand to be a Jewish value, the Jewish value. For many of them, the only Jewish value the right of Jews to live in Eretz Yisrael. That Jewish value still exists by most Jews in this country. Not all. There's the, you know, the equivalent of the left-wing American in, in Israel, the left-wing Israeli who's, you know, the, the self-hating American and we're all bad. Well, there's the same thing over here. We're bad, we're oppressive, we're this, we're that. There's those guys out there, okay. And you know, they still go to the army. <laughs> Okay, but but uh, but they they really think that you know we're just an oppressive power. They believe in this thing called rights of this people that don't exist called the Palestinians. Okay, they believe in that. Fine. Why well, they sold that bill of goods too? I mean, they didn't even thought about it. Are there such a people? Chalal ever exist? Okay, fine. That separate issue. Okay, but interesting enough, those people, so many of those people. From both sides of that camp, in the in this so-called secular, there's not really any such thing as a secular Jew, but the so-called secular world here in Eretz Israel, they're willing to be meisher nefesh for for the Yiddishkeit that they believe is important. They're extremely annoyed that the religious, that a certain section of the religious people won't do that, because that's their Yiddishkeit. So they're annoyed as can be at the fact that there's all these other people who think that that's not a necessary part of Yiddishkeit. <coughs> not that it's not a necessary part of Yiddishkeit. Obviously, there has to be an army if you're in a country, but, but the, the way the army is set up, we can't be part of that. 
furious at those people. But easily enough, when, when push comes to shove, they, everybody throws on the uniform and goes to Lebanon. It's just Raza. It's just what you do. It's sort of interesting, right? And that's their Yiddish guy. Terrorist Yisrael was taken from them. Am Yisrael, to a certain degree, was taken from them. As much as the Rebbe tries so hard to make sure that Mihu Yehudi is a reality in this country, but the sanctity of Am Yisrael is something that official officialdom in Israel doesn't believe in the way God does. I'll be God's rules. Okay, fine. Eretz Yisrael? Most people still believe in that. That they've still got. So it keeps them Jewish. They're extremely Jewish, the people in this country. <laughs> Incredibly Jewish. And what do they look for when they leave the country? Something Jewish. They look for a Chabad house. Right? Chabad houses in the world are full of Israelis. Why? Because they're Jewish. They're not full of Americans. Why not? They're Jewish, but they're not Jewish. Right? They have no Jewish sensitivity whatsoever. They have an Efeshel Kis like everybody else. There's this Jewish Moshe Rabbeinu, but they have no Jewish sensitivities whatsoever. So when they go to when they go to Thailand, the last thing they're looking for is something Jewish. They're Jewish? Why in the world would I do that? Israelis, what's the first thing they look for? Something Jewish. So Chabad houses all over the world are full of them. What keeps them Jewish? It might very well be that thing called Eretz Yisrael is the thing that keeps... I mean, they're in this, you know, this crucible of Jews, you know, stewing together in this pot called, you know, Eretz Yisrael. There's seven million of us bumping into each other like bumper cars at the, uh, at the, at the, at the, you know, in the, what they call those places, you know, with, with all the rides, you know, right? Yeah, the carnival, right? We're all these bumper cars bumping into each other in this country. Okay, I'm saying Fine. But it's, yeah, it's all Jewish. So that's what they're looking for as soon as they leave. And all the, it's so funny, you know, everybody else gets upset, you know, all these Israelis. All right, thank God. <laughs> Chabad houses in North America would be half full if it weren't for the, many of them, if it weren't for the Israelis. It's who goes. Because that's who still has a Jewish sensitivity, Jewish identity, and wants to express it. Unfortunately, we're not doing as well with the Native Americans. I don't know what it's like in France. France, I mean, I, I, I assume, you know, the Sephardim still have a pretty powerful... Jewish identity, probably the, you know, the long-time French Ashkenazim are probably a long way away. They're pretty French. But the Sephardim from Morocco and Algeria, they're, they're, they're Sephardim. They're, you know, they're, they're from. They just do a Beirut. <laughs> Sephardim are still from. <coughs> Ashkenazim have worked on it for generations. The Sephardim, it's all new. And so they're still connected. But we see Yidden that that which somehow they relate to as Jewish, so they're willing to give up their life for it. V'chein nira b'muchash, we see gam afilu b'dargas ha'pchusa is b'kal she'b'kalim ha'peshi Yisrael da'alulim limser nafsham al-kadush Yisrael Yisbar. Seventh line. They're willing to give up their lives. That's unfortunately the history of our people. L'fi da'az hara yodeyu margish b'nafshka. What happens? He knows and he feels in his soul. He's sensitive to the fact that he's not going to separate himself from the Abish there. 
to eat something that might not be 100% kosher because there's a taiva for it? Okay, noob, say Still a yid. Well, yes, that's true. Of course he's a yid. But at that point, he's separating himself from the Abishter in a very, very, very powerful way. And the Rebbe's going to explain how that, what that separation is and what it isn't. Right? Because here we are talking about the fact this is the Alabavacher Rebbe, the previous one, right? The Alabavacher Rebbe, talking about the fact that a Yid can be separate from the Abishter. Don't those Labavachers always talk about a f- the fact that a Yid is never separate from the Abishter? Isn't that their line? Isn't that what they sell to us? Isn't that their thing? Okay, yeah, so we have to figure that out too. But this is the same Labavach who's saying that when you're doing a very, you're separate. Don't kid yourself. No. God love you? Yeah. But doesn't mean you haven't separated yourself. So what is that separation? What, okay, so that's, that's the fourth chapter. But first, the Rebbe's explaining the dynamic of an Avera. An Avera is Mamisha, an, an unbelievably catastrophic event. The fourth paragraph, the Rebbe will explain how we, uh, the, 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 on what level we're still connected and what level we're, we're disconnected. That this leos to be chos v'sholem v'chos v'sholem nifrad mielokei Yisrael to be separate from the Hebshe ain't b'yachayli shum bar Yisrael. A Jew in a normal, healthy state of being a yid can't do that. Aval b'share devarim other things. Hainu b'share avedus rochman aletzlan other avedus. Those avedus that are mutter, so to speak. He doesn't know. And he doesn't feel that he's separated from the unity of a Baruch. And you want to talk about the cultural Jew in the affiliated cultural Jew in North America? So the same, the same dynamic applies. Certain things that you don't do if you're a Jew. You just don't do it. Right? Now those things are getting less and less as people get further and further away. But but, but the, the generation of very powerfully culturally connected Jews, my parents' generation, the children of the first people who came to North America, those people, there was a very clear code of behavior that certain things Jews just don't do. They <laughs> just don't do. Now it didn't have very much to do with Shulchan Aruch, right? but... There were things Jews have to do, and if you don't do it, you're just oisy yiddishkeit. And there's things Jews don't do, and if you do it, you're oisy yiddishkeit. What's what was the one thing that was the single most important thing you absolutely have to do? Give tzedaka. If you don't give tzedaka, you're pashit oisy yiddishkeit. Should be giving tzedaka seriously. The ones who don't, they were just looked upon as absolute. It didn't matter how much money they have. Barely a yid. That whole generation. They gave millions of dollars to tzedakah these people. They were measured nefesh to give tzedakah. They gave unbelievable amounts of tzedakah. My father was the 1973 Yom Kippur War. My father was the head of the uh, doctor's part of federation, raising money from the doctors. Fine. So he went to a meeting in between Musaf and Mincha, the, you know, they all, everybody heard there was a war, so they had an emergency meeting to raise money. Vancouver. It's in Joe Siegel's house. Joe Siegel, richest Jew in town, real character. Real character. Just gave millions to stuck up. A character. Always had a big cigar in his mouth. Huh? Used to call my father Cappy. Hey, Cappy. 
It's like one of these guys. He, he bought Zellers once. You know, he bought this huge American store, like Walmart Zellers sort of thing. Fabulously wealthy guy, but tough as nails. So my father was sitting in the room. My father didn't have this guy. He was a doctor in, in a country where doctors are paid by the government. Right? Not, right? So, so yeah, he's got money. But he was there because he was head of the, the, so he was watching what was going on in the room. So Joe Siegel's going around. Now this is 1973. Joe Siegel says, okay, I'm giving, this is in addition to what they normally give. This is an emergency campaign. I'm giving a quarter of a million dollars. Koimi, Sam Bellsberg, old show just passed away a year and a half. Koimi, what are you giving a quarter of a million? Uh, Maury, Maury Wasp, what are you giving a quarter of a million? Gets the one guy. What are you giving? 75,000. Says that's SHIT. Mm. People didn't talk that way in 1973. Now it's in the newspapers, and that way that was a word that you, it was a fair, you know, that's, you know, he's not smoking a cigar, it's Yom Kippur, right? But he should be with his big cigar. The guy says, I'm having a rough time. He says, sell your expletive deleted boat. <laughs> sell your boat. That's what he said. My father was there. He came home. He's like, can't imagine what I just saw. <laughs> Guy sold his boat. Gave the money. Sold his boat. Gave a quarter of a million bucks. They raised three million dollars in that room. That was a lot of money in 1973, <laughs> right? Willie Mays made 125 thousand dollars a year. Right? The best baseball player in the world made 125 thousand dollars a year. $3 million was a lot of money. <laughs> they raised it in that basement. That's what Jews were about. And if you didn't give that, meet that guy who said 75? Go to church. What are you doing here? You're not, you're not Jewish. <laughs> that, that's, that, that was the value. And, and I, I, some of them were able to pass that on to their children. And their children are also still giving stock. Some of them didn't. The children aren't giving stock. <coughs> but those guys, right? I met my mother, my next door neighbors were Catholics, wonderful people, they really were wonderful people. The Catholic school in Vancouver was having a terrible time financially, and they were thinking of closing it down. Now, this was a school that, as a kid, I couldn't walk by because I'd get beaten up because the Catholics didn't like Jews, so you know, a Jew couldn't walk past the school. I, I, I could after a while because of Kippy Kenny. Kippy Kenny was my next door neighbor who went to the school and he would tell them, he said, don't you dare touch that Jew or I'll beat you up. So, so I, I, I had protection. But your average Jew couldn't walk past the school. But they, this, it's a, so maybe it should be closed. But whatever, the, 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 <coughs> it was in danger of being closed. So Mrs. O'Hagan <laughs> was talking to my mother. And she said, uh, you know, it's really to Vancouver College. They might close it. So my mother said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, they the finances. And I said, well, so keep it open. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, why don't you do what we do? I said, well, what do you guys do? Well, all the parents get together and raise the money and keep the place open. It's called charity. Oh, wow, what an amazing idea. So she talks to her son-in-law. She was already an older lady by the time. She was probably 75. So she talked to her son-in-law, married my sister's best friend growing up. 
right? A guy named Bruce Jagger who worked for Bank of Montreal. Nice, tough guy, nice guy. I used to play football with him on the street. He was bigger and older than us, but he used to come and play with us, right? Okay. Call, called up her son-in-law, Bruce. I said, Bruce, I just talked to Mrs. Kaplan. Wait. Okay, we can do that. And Bruce started getting some friends together, had a few bucks, and said, come on, let, let's, let's mobilize people and raise some money for the school. They saved the school, and there's now the football field is called the Harry O'Hagan football field, named after Carmi's husband, Mrs. O'Hagan's husband. He lived across the street. He didn't talk to us. The kids all loved the Jews. He, I, he was like an old-time Catholic. He couldn't relate to Jews. He, he never talked to us. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, but the football field is named after him. Why? Well, because his son-in-law was the one who raised all the money. And so when they raised enough money, it also fixed the football field. That's what Jews did. If he didn't do that, you were a Yiddish guy. And they were Mason Efrish for it. The guy sold his boat. I mean, that's a big thing in his life, right? That boat means <laughs> He likes that boat. And he worked bloody hard to get that boat, right? Because he didn't come with a lot of money in his pocket, right? He'd now be 110, 105, right? That guy who sold the boat. He was older than my father. My, father would, my father's 102nd birthday was just you know, a week or 10 days. Right? Okay, nine days. So, <coughs> so he was a little old. He'd be 105, 108. So the way he came to America, if he came to him, he might have come, or he might have, you know, he was born there. He was born with a, with a money in his pocket. Oh, Ben met his parents had any money. His parents, if 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 he didn't come himself, so his parents came. His parents had no money. They were greeners. And he made it all himself. He worked hard for that boat. Sold his boat. Why? Because the Jew doesn't want to be separate from the Abishter, and not giving that stucca meant he was not. Jewish, so we had to be Jewish. So he sold his boat to be Jewish. That's, and, and the Ruach Shtus covers that up, that part of us. So we might not do that. We might not be, but certain things we'll do. Why? <laughs> a Jew doesn't want to be separate. A Jew wants to be a Jew, whatever, however he understands that. <coughs> the other thing, the, the love, the negative commandment that that generation had, which disappeared, you don't marry out. <laughs> There's no such thing. It just doesn't exist. It just didn't exist for them. No such thing. Their kids didn't get that. They couldn't give that to their kids because you can't pass on to your kids anything but real Yiddishkeit. You can't pass on, you know, 50%, 20%, 8%. It, 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 it doesn't work. You know, just look at it sociologically. It just doesn't work. The only thing you can pass on is the real thing. <coughs> my father, Shalom said, uh, <coughs> he wouldn't tell us, but he said to my mother, said the only way to be Jewish is the way the boys do it, which is my brother and I. The fact that he said that is unbelievable. The way he grew up. His parents were basically from, his, 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 his father was Mason Nefesh to have six kids graduate and get college degrees. And, and the last one got his degree in the early 30s, my father. What that was in 1910, 1920 to get your kids through college? My goodness gracious. But that's what he realized, said, look, you know, if they're going to make it, they need this. <coughs> true, not true, whatever. So he had uh, the first... First woman called to the bar in Canada was his oldest daughter, my, my father's oldest sister. Um, had a 
had a, his, had my fa- another older sister of my father was a, was a PhD in psychology. These are women who grew, you know, they, they, they did this in the 40s, right? No one did this stuff, 50s, right? My father's brother, so my father was a doctor. There were three, bro- three boys, a doctor, doctor, and a lawyer, right? Like that, that's what he, he said. Like, if you're going to make it here, this is what you have to do. Now, he, you know, on a certain level, I'll be teva. He's right, okay, but what did they sacrifice? So they sacrificed their Yiddish God. My father, less than all of them. My grandfather always said about my father, <coughs> my uncle told me, my father never would because he never talked about himself, that um, he said, uh, my uncle told me that my uh, grandfather always referred to my father as my Kaddish Zogger. If anyone's going to say Kaddish for me, it's him. So he did. He said Kaddish 18 months straight. He went to shul every single day because my the grandparents died seven months apart. <coughs> he went to shul every day for 18 months. Shachris min chamarv. He's got two sons davening from the Omid every day. <laughs> the others didn't. No one said Kaddish for anybody else. His five siblings, their kids didn't say Kaddish for them. My father said Kaddish for his parents. He's got two kids who are saying Kaddish for him. The Abishta Bleibnishkein Balchev. The Abishta doesn't, uh, the Abishta never remains owing a debt. He pays up. Let's see another one. The kezeliyos chos v'shalom v'chos v'shalom to be nifrat, separate mi'elakei Yisrael. Ain biyachei l'shum bar Yisrael. A yid can't do it in a healthy state. Aval b'shar davar. Other things. Hainu. We're stopping in one minute. We're just finding a place to stop. Bashar Devar. What's that? Hainu Bashar Avedus. Other Avedus. Rachmana Letzlon. Heaven forfend. Hare Eno Yadeh. Avena Margish. And Asa Yadeh Zadnifad Miachdusi is Baruch. He doesn't know and he doesn't feel that he's separate from the Abish. Venid Meloy. And it appears to him. Kiyoid Biyaduse. Kasharia. I'm still a from Jew. So I said a little Ashnar. I'm still a from Jew. No. At <laughs> that moment, there's no difference between that Jew and the Jew sitting in a restaurant in, 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 in Chicago eating non-kosher food. What's the difference? At that moment, five minutes from now, things will change. But at that moment, what's happening? How is he any different than the guy sitting in the restaurant eating, eating uh, Chinese food? No different. Ah, he's got tzitzis. Okay, say it, it's true. He's being Mekayim a mitzvah at the same time that he's saying whatever he's saying, but it's not. Vezeba, <coughs> and where does this come? Miruach Shtus, the Sitra from the Ruach Shtus of the Sitra There's no periods here, we're stopping in this line. Shemachasa la orva gilu shelo That it covers up the light and revelation that he shouldn't be sensitive to it. And so he'll do something that's completely contrary to his objective understanding of what proper behavior is. Which is wild. Okay. Okay, the Bible will continue. He keeps going. He's not, he's not stopping. He's going to drill this into us until we figure it out. 